the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Faith is not defined by what you see. Faith defies what you see. And God is greater than the tangible. And sometimes we think that it's all limited to what we can see and hear and touch and smell. But faith transcends the senses. Faith is is complete trust in the Lord to do greater, more than we could ever hope or imagine. And so God is the God of miracles and we live by faith and not by sight. Today, Pastor Gary talks about the power that comes through our faith in Christ. As humans, we're inclined to trust our senses. There are things that are beyond our understanding, though, and that's where our faith comes in, the evidence of things unseen. God works in our lives in ways we don't understand, but just because we don't see it or hear it doesn't mean it's not happening. What a beautiful thing that God isn't confined by our imaginations. Pastor Gary reminds us that our Lord is so much bigger and more glorious than you could ever dream. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read the first section, verses 1 through 10. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight." We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. All right, there's a lot in this first section here, and so we're going to take our time and go through only the fifth chapter because just how rich it is. And Paul opens up this fifth chapter talking about tents and talking about bodies and talking about heavenly dwellings and earthly things and talks about the judgment seat. And so, you know, there's a lot in the first 10 verses here. And I want to point out, if you would notice again, verse 5, I want to highlight a part of verse 5 where he says, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose. It is God who has made us for this very purpose. And then the question becomes, what purpose? And we're going to notice that when you take a look at the context of chapter 5 and you couple it really with chapter 4 that we read last week, that the purpose for which God created us is eternity. He mentions back in chapter 4, he talked about at the end of chapter 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And in the context, he's talking about the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having the hope of knowing Christ as our Savior. We have that hope, that treasure in jars of clay, or I think King James says earthen vessels. And he's comparing our bodies and our lives as being very temporary earthen vessels or like jars of clay. So we have this wonderful good news within our lives, but our very beings are temporary. There is this eternal reward that far outweighs our temporary burdens and hardships. And that's another thing that he said back in chapter 4 where he talks about our light and momentary troubles cannot be compared to the glory that far outweighs all those things. Now again, we mentioned the list that Paul endured. So his light and momentary troubles were pretty severe. I don't know what he would call severe, but a guy who's been beaten many times, left for dead, shipwrecked, often gone without food, without clothing. I mean, this is no light and momentary trials as far as I'm concerned, but that's the way Paul sees it in light of eternity. Because he says, though I will go through and you will go through difficulties and problems and stress and trials and all kinds kinds of problems on earth he says we got to keep the eternal perspective that we're just passing through friends and that eventually we're going to get to our eternal reward and all of that far outweighs all the other garbage we go through on earth so on the heels of that in chapter four he now comes into chapter five along the same theme where he starts talking about our tent this earthly tent there in verse one he says we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So he talks about an earthly tent versus an eternal house in heaven. And a house certainly sounds more permanent and sturdy than does a tent. What is he talking about when he speaks of an earthly tent and a heavenly house? Because there's different language like this elsewhere. For example, in John 14... Jesus talked about going away. He said to his disciples, I'm going to go away. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. In other words, he promises, he says, look, I'm going to go away. 
and I'm going to go away to heaven, but in my Father's house are many mansions. Now, I know we have kind of this vision, I think, in the church of, like, we're all going to be living in these mansions and driving Rolls Royces on streets of gold. But, you know, Creflo Dollar, listen to me, listen to me. The mansions, the whole idea of mansions may not, in fact, be dwellings. In fact, the language seems to indicate that what Jesus is talking about is what Paul is referring to here. When he speaks of these heavenly buildings versus an earthly tent. Then in fact what Jesus may be referring to is the glorified body that we will all receive. That when we get to heaven that we will all be in this glorified mansion if you will of a house. Because compared to what Paul likens our physical frame to an earthly tent. The thing we're going to inherit is like a mansion. It's going to be beautiful and wonderful. Now, I think this is, this is very, to me, you know, the older I get, this makes more sense. This comparison thing with our bodies being like tents, okay? Because if you've lived long enough, you understand. This is a pretty good analogy here Paul's writing about, saying like we have earthly tents that eventually are going to be destroyed. Because think about earthly tents. How many of you have gone camping in your life? Let me just see how many of you. Now, keep your hands up if you actually like it. Let me just see your hands. Okay. All right. A lot of you do. But some of you are like, you know, I took my family camping and the girls were not too much into it in my house. All right. And so we're like, one time we went camping as a family. Once. Now, I've been camping many times in my life, but to the girls, it's just like, ah, you know, the ground's a little hard, and it's a little rustic. Okay, so, you know, some of you, it's like, the worst thing is if I don't have cable TV, then that's considered camping. Well, all right, so here we go. The idea of a tent, think about it. They're temporary, frail, they leak, they sag and smell. Is this not a pretty good comparison, friends? If you don't think this is funny, you haven't lived long enough. That's all I can say to you. Now think about it for just a moment. When you go camping and you, and you pitch a tent, it's a temporary thing. It's not intended to be a permanent dwelling. People don't live in tents unless, and I don't mean to make a joke out of this, unless out of necessity somebody is living in a tent. Otherwise, it's not a permanent place to live. People don't normally live in a tent as a permanent dwelling. It's temporary. You take it, you pitch a tent, you have fun. That's temporary. It's, but it's frail. It's frail. These things... Blow in, in the weather, you know, if it gets windy or stormy. I've been camping at times when you're in your tent and that's all that's holding your tent down. You know, when the storm comes along and all of the tent pegs have been uprooted and the flaps are going crazy and you're holding it down, you're just in your tent holding it down just by virtue of your weight. They are frail and so they collapse easily, all right? And the older you get, you're going to realize this, that they collapse easily. Things don't work like they used to. I was at Lowe's the other day, and the checkout lady said, it's going to rain today. And I said, is it? I mean, I haven't checked. You know, I'm thinking I haven't checked my app. And so she says, oh, yeah, it's going to rain today. You know how I know? I said, how do you know? Because my knee is telling me. And do you know it rained later that day? Our bodies, they're frail. They also leak. Now, when it comes to camping, I mean, this is how it was. I can remember as a kid, every seam along in your tent I had this special water repellent spray, and you try to spray every seam to make sure that when you went camping and hiking that, that all the water, when it rains, is not going to leak through the seams because that's the place it's always going to. And how many of you have ever been camping to wake up with water dripping on your face? Let me see your hands. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. And so it's just part of a tent. They leak. And you know how this goes, some of you, especially when you laugh real hard. Number four, they sag, don't they? 
So when you go camping, you know how it works. It's like you go to sleep at night and then the dew settles in. And then by the time you wake up in the morning, it's all sagged. And so you got to get up and you got to stretch the lines again to make the tent tight. Because when things happen, it just, it all starts to sag. And so it is, friends. All right. It just is going to happen. Everything goes south eventually. I read the statistic today in prep for this study. In 2016, Americans spent more on plastic surgery than any other time in human history. $16 billion. Now, I'm not knocking it, frankly, friends. And we've got some good plastic surgeons in our church. I'm just telling you. You know, I mean, if the tent needs it, then get it. I I mean, you know, I'm just saying that at some point, your tent is going to be, it has to get nipped and tucked at some point. Or else it's just all going to droop. And it's going to be in places that God never intended it to be. And you can try to preserve it all you want. And, you know, and to be honest with you, let's just be, let's, let's just be honest. It's just you and me tonight, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Some plastic surgery looks good and some looks terrible. And I won't mention Kenny Rogers' name, but I'm just saying to you, some, I mean, there are some. And you can look at some people and go, wow, that was nicely done. And other people are just like, how do you smile? How do you breathe? Anyway, I digress, but you get the idea. And then finally, tents, they smell, friends. They smell because when you pack them up and roll them away and you get them out the next season, it's got that musty grandma smell. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever been just to grandma's house and it just, there's just a distinct odor there. All right. So this is a wonderful picture for us where Paul says, listen, we got this earthly tent we live in. He says, when it's destroyed, guess what though? Good news. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. That glorified body isn't going to be temporary, frail, leak, sag, or smell. It's going to be none of those things. Because our glorified body is going to be wonderful. It'll never perish, never fade, never spoil, never need anything. It's going to be this eternal, glorified body. But he makes mention of this comparison. And then he also adds here in these verses... I don't know if you noticed uh, verse 2 where he talks about the word groan. Verse 2 he says longing. Verse 4 he uses the word burdened. And then in verse 4, at the end of verse 4 also he talks about being mortal. And so there's also not just this physical component to this analogy, but there's also the spiritual and emotional element of being here on earth. He says in verse 4, he says, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. And it's true in the sense that, you know, life can just take its toll. And here we are in this earthly tent. We're living in this earthly place and the earth can take its toll on us. And we can become burdened by things in life and we can groan. He says, you know, there's this longing to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling. Now, you know, Paul is at a place in his life where... He has experienced so much trial, so much persecution, so much tribulation that, frankly, he's just ready to go home. It's not a death wish. This is just, he's at a place where he's just like, if I have the choice, he mentions it in verse 8. Perhaps you saw it when we read it. Verse 8, he says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If I had a preference given this time and place in my life, frankly, I'd just rather be in heaven. Again, it's not a death wish. This isn't anything that is 
inappropriate for Paul to be thinking about. You know, and he ends up telling the Philippian church, it's more necessary that I remain than, than that I go. So he understands that his mission is not done. And we should never try to prematurely hasten that day. You know, all the days ordained for us are recorded in his book before one of them came to be, is what the psalmist tells us. So God knows our beginning from the end, and we are never to hasten it. But in some respect, it is a natural thing sometimes to just want to be in heaven and to escape the burden and the grief and the weight of this world. Again, I'm not advocating advancing it. I'm just saying sometimes when you, when you go through such difficulties that it's not an uncommon thing to just think, you know, I just, I just would like to be with the Lord. This earth is just hard sometimes, and it takes its toll. And so he says, I, I would even prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And by the way, note within that verse, verse 8, I would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord, that counters what Jehovah's Witnesses will teach you. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that when you die, you just go to sleep in the grave. It's a doctrine called soul sleep that is nowhere found in the Bible. In fact, Paul says here, I would prefer to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. When we die, our spirit will leave our body. Our body goes into the grave, but our spirit goes to be immediately with the Lord. Paul's not saying here, I would prefer to just lie in the grave until the resurrection and enjoy soul sleep for centuries. No, he says, I would prefer to be away from the body and to be present with the Lord. So there's no such thing as soul sleep. When you die, you either go in the presence of the Lord or you go into eternal punishment and suffering. Now, the Bible says that God wants none to perish and all to come to repentance. People sometimes have a problem with their view of God. They think, how could a loving God create and want anyone to go to hell? He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. In fact, the Bible says that hell was designed for Satan and his demons. So God doesn't want anyone to join Satan and the demons, but that was the express purpose for hell. He wants none to perish, all to come to repentance. God has paved the way for all to come to heaven and to experience a glorified body and their eternal reward if you trust Christ as your Savior. He wants no one to perish, but it has to be a choice. It has to be a choice. And so Paul is longing here, and he talks about groaning while we're in this tent, and he says we were made for eternity, that ultimately we're made for eternity, and that's why there is groaning on this earth. And that's why we do feel burdened on this earth, because we were made for eternity. And we're passing through this earth. We're passing through this planet. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. So sometimes you're going to feel out of place. That's normal. Sometimes you're going to feel overly burdened by the world and the world system. That's normal. You're going to feel out of place, because we weren't designed for here. We were designed for, ultimately, to be with him in heaven. You say, well, wait a minute. God created Adam and Eve. I thought he designed earth. Yeah, in its unspoiled condition. But once sin entered the human race and spoiled paradise, now in its fallen state, this place is full of crime, this place is full of sin, this place is full of death, this place is full of misery and disappointment and injustice and all kinds of things. Then God sent his son Jesus to rescue us from. Because he realizes, this is, this is not where I want you to end up, you know, being forever and ever. Paradise has been spoiled. So Jesus dies to regain paradise for us, in a sense. By allowing us then to trust in his finished work on the cross so that we can go to heaven. So Paul is saying here in chapter 4 and now here into chapter 5, he says we have to maintain this heavenly eternal perspective. We were not made for earth. That eventually we're going to shed this 
frail body like a tent. We're going to go to be with the Lord. We're going to have an eternal dwelling with him and get a glorified body and spend forever with the Lord. And he says, so in the meantime, there's some things that we have to keep in perspective and we have to keep in mind since we were made for eternity. He says three things in that passage we read. The first is, he says, I want you to remember we have the spirit as a deposit. He said there in verse five. He said, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So the word deposit there, it's like earnest money. You know when you put earnest money down on something because you want to purchase it and you're going to go back and get the whole thing? And so in effect what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is a deposit. It is God's earnest money in our lives. That when we receive the Lord and we have His Spirit dwelling in us, that is a reminder to us that there is more to come. And the ultimate fulfillment will be when we are with the Lord. In the meantime, while we live on earth, God has given us of his spirit so that we can have him actually dwelling in us. It's an incredible, phenomenal thing to think of. But this is that deposit guaranteeing what is to come. All right, again, guaranteeing what is to come. It's keep that eternal perspective. Keep one eye on earth and one eye on heaven. And then the other thing he says, number two is in verse seven, he says, and I just want you to remember, we live by faith, not by sight. While you're living on earth, keep your faith engaged Don't just have everything managed by what you see because your senses are unreliable. Faith is not defined by what you see. Faith defies what you see. And God is greater than the tangible. And sometimes we think that it's all limited to what we can see and hear and touch and smell. But faith transcends the senses. Faith is is complete trust in the Lord to do greater, more than we could ever hope or imagine. And so God is the God of miracles, and we live by faith and not by sight. And then thirdly, he says, we make it our goal to please God. There in verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body, in other words, while we're here on earth, or away from it, when, when we go to heaven. Whether we're here or whether we're there, the goal is going to be to please God. And then he adds this last part here about the judgment seat of Christ in verse 10. Look again at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Judgment seat. Judgment seat. Now, I remember as a kid, growing up in the church, and somewhere along the line, I don't know where I pick this up, but the more I've spoken to people, other people have this image like I do. And so I won't be surprised if others of you thought the same thing. And here's, here's what I thought growing up. Judgment seat, I got to stand before God, and there's going to be this big jumbotron screen, and God's going to replay my life, and every sinful, wicked thing I ever did and everybody's going to be able to watch in the jumbotron. And you take your turn going up to the judgment seat of God. And then, and then everybody stands back and watches your life and your sinful stuff you've ever done. That was what my concept of the judgment seat of God. Anybody else have that concept growing up? Yeah, there's some of you. Yeah. Judgment seat in English is one word in the original Greek language. It's the word bima. B-E-M-A. Bima. Bima in Greek simply means step. A Roman magistrate would make judgment and pronounce judgment on a high platform, a step up. So it was called a bema seat. This bema seat of judgment is not the same 
as Revelation 20, which talks about the great white throne judgment. Now, by the way, at no point, whether here or Revelation 20, does the Bible say there's this jumbotron that replays all the sins of your life, okay? But to distinguish Revelation 20, which is the great white throne judgment, from this judgment, this judgment is not a judgment of salvation. Here in 2 Corinthians 5, this is a judgment of evaluation. This is a judgment for rewards here in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Because he speaks here of, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. In other words, while here on earth, whether good or bad. So what we've done will be judged and our motives will be judged because he adds that part about whether good or bad. The inference is our motives, what we've done and the motives behind them. How is it that we know that as Christians, we will not stand before a throne and to be judged? The answer is because the Bible teaches we've been judged at the cross. When Jesus dies for our sins and then we put our faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, that's when we are judged. Living in unity with one another is never an easy task. Every member of the church is unique and filled with personality. And with that comes opinions. As you've learned from the Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians, though, unity within the body of Christ is a must. You don't have to agree on every tiny detail, but on the basic tenets of faith, members need to agree. Living in harmony does require humility and open communication and a willingness to follow the leadership God has placed over His church. We hope today's teaching on Cornerstone Connection has been encouraging to you. If you're in the area, we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia for a time of worship and Bible study. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our website also houses our archive of Pastor Gary's teachings through the Bible, as well as additional resources to help you in your own study of the Word. You can even download our mobile app to take Cornerstone Connection with you on the go. You'll find all this again at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor Gary has more to share from the book of 2 Corinthians, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.